Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Podolchuk, a retired 20-year Mountie. Sherry, good morning. Good morning, Hal. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for doing this. You've been watching all this with interest. You've been listening, of course, to the coverage as well, reading about it. Uh, Before we get into your thoughts on some of this, please just tell your story briefly so people know that you're speaking about this uh, as as an expert. Yeah, well, I can, I, I'm speaking from experience of being a sexual assault survivor and driver, and uh, clearly the the general the they you know they didn't care about the victim; they were caring more about Hockey Canada and their reputation. So for me, I spent I uh, I experienced uh, sexual harassment, sexual violence, and bullying while I was an RCMP officer, and I did the I did the daring thing and actually spoke out, which made me a further target for the, pretty much my entire career. So having this young woman speak up, that, that takes tremendous courage. And I just want to share with your audience that it's not an event. It is a lifelong experience. It really changes who you are once you've been sexually assaulted and raped. It really changes who you are. And without proper support, and there is no amount of money, how that can possibly take away that trauma. It is only an acknowledgement, and they clearly didn't care about the victim, because if they did, they would have made a public apology. They would have in, uh, created policies and procedures to change what their current, their current journey with Hockey Canada, because clearly, way back in 2003, there have been problems. Yeah, I found it interesting, the audio I played there where they talked about a lot of this happened in camera, no notes were taken, you know. Uh, At the heart of this, it really is about people, especially the people in power not speaking up, but I think we've come to realize that we all need to speak up when this happens. Yes, Helen, and, and media like you, 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 you and uh, many of your other hosts speak up and they, you address these uncomfortable uh, conversations. You had Joy Smith the other day talking yesterday, talking about human trafficking. That's an uncomfortable mm-hmm. conversation. But if you think it's not happening in your community, you have to think again. You're pro- you've, we have probably come within 10 feet of someone who's been sexually assaulted at some point in their life. Now, that's a serious problem. Now, as a parent, I would be really ticked off knowing my funds were going to Hockey Canada for, to register my, my children, knowing these funds were being used to silence victims and protect deviant behavior. I would be furious if I was a parent. Mm-hmm. Many have also called, you know, these non-disclosure agreements, and I'll play some more from Greg Gooley as we go along here uh, this morning, but he talked a bit about NDAs yesterday, and it was interesting, non-disclosure agreements, they're often signed when there's a settlement, a financial settlement, and, and I've heard it been suggested that the the survivors should not be uh, held, it should not be, they should be allowed to speak even though they sign an NDA and, and there's money involved, because that's key, I think. Oh, absolutely, Hal. You see, because I, t- I was raped by a co-worker. So if I would have signed a non-disclosure, which I never did, uh, I, never, I never pressed charges. I did what most victims 
do. You just sort of, oh, it was my fault. I had a drink. I went to his house. Uh, somehow I'm to blame. So you, I didn't say, I didn't go forward. I mean, how can you possibly investigate your own, right? That was my mindset. And so I wrote about it. That was the best thing I ever did. And I would never have signed something that says I can't talk about that because what that does is it kills you again. It re-traumatizes you again and again when you know you can't share your pain other than with your therapist. And I guess your bank manager for for the settlement. But again, how there's no amount of money that could possibly take away the trauma. And what I'm getting from listening and watching and with disgust is the leadership failed absolutely miserable, just miserably. They need you need to clean house completely, have a cultural shift within the organization, have you know bring in other people to train you about what, how to manage people, how to enforce respectful workplace policies and accountability for the perpetrators just because they're famous and they score all these goals that does not give them a whitewash to commit crime and if you don't stop them here it will just be a pattern of behavior they continue in their life Mm -hmm. and um you know the other thing that um has been talked a lot about is the culture of hockey right but we're seeing this in other sports it it is a problem in our culture period right oh absolutely the mil- and every workplace every workplace every organization has its own culture so i can speak mostly from the rcmp culture which is very similar in that boys club boys will be boys if you don't belong, if you're a little bit different, then you are considered the other, therefore target. There's a lot of misogyny in there or, you know, that, that boys talk in the hawk, on the locker room, which is inappropriate there, inappropriate anywhere, but still allowed. And so those are the things that need to be addressed. And if you, if you don't have the bystanders, this is what me, the bystanders have so much power. If at any time when that girl was being attacked, if someone would have said, hey, guys, what are you doing? Stop, stop, stop the outcome might have been different. Mm-hmm. But nobody said think- anything. Nobody reported anything after. Mm-hmm. Do you think yeah. all the attention that this is getting, what's happened at Hockey Canada, do you think this will lead to better times when it comes to this? People, especially people in power, in positions of power, saying something, but for uh, this issue, which is so important for, for everybody to realize when they see something, they should say something. Do you think there's a silver lining here as difficult as all of this is to talk about? Oh, absolutely, Hal. Absolutely. I think you know, there's, the only way things change is when we crack the egg and this horrible mess comes out, and then we have to deal with it. And so, yes, people are talking about it. Let's, like the hashtag MeToo, all that has changed the world. We are no longer silent. There are still places that where they're they're trying to keep quiet keep people quiet but things are changing there is a shift and with so much attention and how once again having these conversations with you is one way to get get people to start talking about it hey did you, i was listening to the radio today and how i was talking about this has that ever happened to you do you know anybody that happened to you and you'd be surprised how many people say well yeah my niece my nephew da 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 how many people have been a victim of some sort of sexual violence but i think it's it's the leadership if you just because you are in a leadership role and i can i know this from my experience does not make you smarter does not make you have all the answers and does not make you a good leader and this is what people have to understand just because you're in he's in a leadership role in charge of hockey canada doesn't mean he has the smarts and the ability to run it 
respective, respectively for not only the hockey players, but the families who are you know, bringing in their children every day. One final quick question. We talked the other day about, uh, I guess it was yesterday we asked the question, are, are you as a parent reconsidering, rethinking your kid in hockey, whether your kid's in, do you leave the kid in hockey, or maybe you've got a kid you're thinking about putting in hockey, do you put them in hockey? What, what, what would be your best advice to parents out there listening that are struggling with this? Well, I would say, you know, use your voice. Use your voice. Um, if, you're, if you're upset about this, send a letter. Speak up. Um, and if, yeah, don't don't deny your children the love of hockey because because of what's happened. It's a few people who have ruined it for everybody. Let's face it. There's a few, there's not not everybody who went through Team Canada. Not everybody who who has been through hockey ha, has done these horrible deeds and is has committed crimes against women. No, that's not that that's not the case. The idea is to have the conversations with your children, educate them. Teach them how to speak up if something happens to them. Give them the tools and strategies they need to protect themselves, as well as being able to speak up if they see something and always, always have their back. Sherry, thanks for this. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Dr. Shaley Bolton is a psychiatry professor at the University of Manitoba and an HSC researcher, and she joins us again here on CJOB this morning. Good morning, Doctor. Hi, thanks for having me, Hal. Thanks for doing this again. You and I talked during a recent radiothon, and we didn't have a ton of time, and I said, please come back, and here you are. At that point, we were talking about this study that you were doing on mental health treatment during a pandemic, and I know you were looking for people to take part. Can you give us a bit of background again for people that didn't hear that initial conversation? Sure, happy to. So, um, so yeah, the research that we are doing um, that's been funded by HSC Foundation um, as well as some other partners is uh, to investigate the impact of taking some CBT skills, cognitive behavior therapy skills, uh, in a class-based format that's held uh, virtually. We have uh, two different class options that we've been offering. Uh, one is where people can uh, access the classes over Zoom. So uh, a professional is uh, hosting the class and runs people through the material of the class. And the second option we have is a web-based course where people can just access it at their convenience and it's completely self-directed. They do it on their own time and they run through the materials the same as they would in the class-based uh, format with Zoom, but now they have uh, the ability to just uh, do it from their own home and at, at their own leisure. And so the the research program really, I mean, just to step back a bit and talk a little bit more about CBT, but cognitive behavior therapy is one of the most well-researched gold standard treatments that we have available uh, to deal with uh, many different mental health problems, depression, anxiety, substance use. Um, and CBT also can just give people really great coping skills for life. So you don't really need to have a diagnosis to benefit from something like CBT. And the great thing about it is that people can learn these skills just the same way someone would take swimming lessons to learn skills to cope in the water. These are kind of life skills to teach you how to be prepared for situations that might arise where you feel uh, emotionally kind of dysregulated, off, you feel like things are troubling you, and this gives you some skills to kind of redirect yourself and to not 
kind of go down that path of perhaps getting a diagnosis or starting to have real problems with your mental health. And so these classes really just encourage people to uh, get some exposure to these skills, to learn them, and to learn them in the comfort of their own home. Very easy to access um, and, and, and easy to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, CBT works for sure. Uh, you have found that it works virtually as well. And obviously, you know, as we start to come out of this pandemic, um, it was valuable during this pandemic and will be going forward if we ever find ourselves, hopefully not, but if we ever find ourselves in a situation like this again. But I think many of us are going to do more stuff virtually and this is a, a great tool that people can use when they're dealing with stuff like anxiety and depression. You, you rattled some of this stuff off. Uh, so I, I think it's even beyond a pandemic. Absolutely. I think the thing about the virtual setting is people can access it anytime they want from their home. You don't have to go to a mental health professional. You don't have to get um, you know, one-on-one treatment at the hospital or at a clinic. You can do this from home. You can do this if people are located rurally. They don't have to drive into a big center to be able to access this kind of resources. These are the gold standard resources for mental health, and now you can kind of access them from anywhere in the province, quite simply. You know, we're, we're talking about mental health a lot today. In fact, it's our question of the day, and I'll get to that in a second when you and I are, are, are done talking. But it seems to me that, uh, you know, when people are, are having issues with their mental health, they maybe don't think, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go to the trouble of seeing a professional. And I would imagine tools like this available virtually will help people that maybe otherwise wouldn't have received the help they needed. For sure, and I think that's part of the the great thing about the program we've developed is that it's kind of, you're just taking a class. It doesn't have to feel like you're making that step to see someone, to talk to someone, to kind of go into the, what people think of as like mental health treatment or therapy. It's kind of brings people back to this is just a class to learn some skills, and everybody's been in a class before. There's no kind of stigma around that as much as there would be about going and talking to a professional and kind of going down that road, and people are kind of unsure of what to expect, and this kind of increases people's awareness of what is mental health treatment and what are some mental health concepts without having to kind of make that leap. Mm-hmm. Are you still looking for people to take part? Are you close to releasing some findings? Where are you at with the study? We're still looking for people to take part. We've got a number of different programs. Um, There's one that's open to anybody in the province of Manitoba. Again, that was the one that was funded by HSC Foundation. That's for the general population of Manitoba. We also have some specific programs that have been tailored for particular groups of people. One is for public safety personnel, so anybody in police, fire, paramedic, anybody working with the population in that kind of capacity um, we're, we're looking to recruit people into that particular group as well, same courses, um, just with the materials tailored to some of the situations that might arise in their jobs. And then we also have another program that's been funded by Doctors Manitoba, specific to physicians. I'm sure we're all aware that physicians have had a pretty rough time through COVID. Uh, their mental health is strug- suffering too, and this is a great opportunity for those folks to kind of access some of these resources to help them out. The Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, 79, Keith Richards, 78. Never before 
Never before has such a grizzled group of rock icons graced so many major stages at the same time. The problem is, it's not likely to happen again. Let's talk about it now with musicologist Eric Alper. Eric, good morning. Look at us two young guys talking about old people. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about you. Speak for yourself, man. I feel like I'm getting up there, too. Uh, we're, but... we're, we're about 29. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be the feel... first lie told on radio. It's okay. Right. Yeah. It is pretty incredible when you look at some of the ages here. I mentioned a few uh, at the end of last segment, and I just mentioned uh, uh, Jagger and Richards, Carlos Santana, 74, Elton John, 75, Rod Stewart, 77. Eric Clapton is uh, also 77. Roger Waters, 78. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, 80. Paul McCartney, 80. Bob Dylan, 81. Ringo Starr, 82. They may not be on their farewell tours. It might not be on the poster, but it might be their farewell tour. It seems like everybody is really, I mean, when you get down to it, isn't anybody really on their farewell tour? I mean, nothing is really guaranteed. But, you know, if you ask any of these artists, if you catch them in a quiet moment, even in their 40s, even in their 50s or 60s, the fact is is that they're all very much reminding themselves every single day of the pecking order that you see in yourself as an artist and your rival's music. You better believe that the Stones are looking at Eric Clapton and Rod Stewart and looking at the amount of money that they're commanding when they go out on tour because it's still an ego thing. No matter how many houses you have, you don't want to sell any of them. And for most people who kind of complain that, you know, tickets are, you know, $2,000 or $1,500 for some of these people, they're just like you and I. They would never leave money on the table. If you sold your house and somebody offered you triple the amount, $500,000 more than your house is, is listed for, you take it too. So, you know, what are these artists? Can you picture Elton John just sitting at home doing nothing? Of course not. This is what he is. This is what he does. This is who he, you know... This is what he not only lives for, but it's the only thing that these people have done since they were 14 years old, and they're certainly not going to stop now. Yeah, well, and they love it, right? I mean, that's the key. Some of us work in jobs, and we dread them every day. We hate them. We can't wait until we get to a point where we don't have to work anymore. But for these people, uh, this is their life. As you said, it's all they've ever done. And so if they're able to do it in their 70s and 80s, hell, I think Willie Nelson's still doing it. He's almost 90. Go for it. (laughs) Yeah. This is the funnest job in the world, being a rock star. Name me one other you know, occupation where you get paid absolute boshes of money, get every whim catered to your needs, be surrounded by, yes, men and women who want to do nothing on this earth, but make sure that you're happy. Why on earth would you want to ever give that up? Oh, and play in front of 40,000 people a night after night after night, just screaming your name and wanting to you know, relive those memories of those songs that came seemingly out of nowhere, um, you know, even if it was 40 years ago. That It's the, you know, mental health problems aside, and certainly we've seen that with somebody like, say, Sean Mendez canceling right. his entire world tour. Um, 
and the obvious drugs and alcohol problem that artists like Amy Winehouse or Kurt Cobain or Jim Morrison and Janice mm-hmm. and Jimi Hendrix had. Um, it's the greatest job in the world. Yeah. And it's a different time. Uh, you know, not very long ago, you wouldn't have seen this many people in their 70s and 80s touring, certainly not names like this. Uh, but yet the music business, and you're really connected to it, the music business has changed in touring and merch. That's where these people make their money. Yeah. In the 70s and 80s, a lot of these artists would take a loss touring in order to promote the album that made them the money when cds and vinyl records were 25 dollars 30 dollars these artists were really cleaning up with the invention of the cd in the 80s all these artists were seeing paychecks like they've never seen before because all those classic albums from pink floyd and the stones and the beatles and the who and and clapton and everybody else all those fans were buying it again because they needed it on CD, um, just like they did the very first time that they bought it on on vinyl records. But, um, you know, you and I have talked in the past about these massive deals that a lot of these artists are signing to publishing companies or third-party companies for their music rights and the ownership of these songs. You saw Bob Dylan selling his catalog for $300 million or Neil Young selling his for $150 million. Those, those companies are going to want their investment back and they're not going to wait 40 more years for it. You're going to see a lot of these classic rock songs being in more commercials, more TV spots, more movies. And what we're seeing with Kate Bush's Running Up the Hill, for instance, coming back um, 39 years later and hitting the top five right now on Billboard in America and top three Mm -hmm. in Canada. Um, Metallica's Master of Puppets hitting the top 40 for the first time, um, you know, in 30 years after that song came out, thanks to Stranger Things. We're going to see that a lot more because these companies are going to want to exploit that back catalog that they've spent untold millions of dollars in order to get the rights for it. So we could be, you know, there's no reason why, if you want to think about it, the Beatles aren't the new classical music that our grandchildren are going to listen to and see. You know, when we talk about classical music of Brahms and Beethoven and Mozart being around for 400 years, there's Mm -hmm. no reason why Chuck Berry's music won't be heard for 200 years down the road. We're in uncharted territory right now anyway. Yeah. Love talking music with you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you so much. Eric Alper, musicologist. His website is thatericalper.com. Thatericalper.com. Carolyn Klassen joins us from Connexus uh, Counseling. Carolyn, good morning. Good morning, Hal. How are you? I am good. Thank you very much for doing this. It is burger day. Do you have a favorite burger in town? Where do you like to get a burger if you're hungry for a burger? So here's the thing. Um, one of the things we like to do with our youngest is, um, and this is more of my husband and my son thing, but I tag along, is they love to go uh, sort of burger shopping where they'll go to mm. a place that they've heard is good. And yeah. then they have this system of ranking where they rank the burger and the fries. And they, I don't know why, but the standard is the A&W team burger and A&W fries. So everything is like that's a 10. And yeah. then yeah. we rank 
we rank the burger from zero to 20 related to the team burger as well as the fries. And so it's something that we love to do in summer is to find one. I was list, I was writing down some of your recommendations that you had last <laughs> half hour uh, because uh, we're sure to try one of those out in the next little bit and then uh, do our ranking thing. Okay, excellent. That's good. I think a lot of people do that. I think uh, I think a lot of people go, hey, you know, I heard this one's good. Let's let's go and, and try this one out. Hey, man, a and uh, you should be calling me and setting up some advertising here on CGOB because you're getting lots of free advertising. We were talking about the Whistle Dog last week. The Whistle Dog's back, and here you plug A&W saying the, the team burger and fries at A&W is a 10. So A&W, if you – but listen, I will say this about A&W. They've got an MS Day coming up next month, so they do a lot of good work mm-hmm. in the community. So thanks uh, thanks to them for that, and I don't mind giving a few shameless plugs. If you got a good product, hey, nothing wrong with talking about it. Uh, let me ask you our question of the day at cgob.com. We've been taking votes on this, and I want to start with this. Uh, Sean Mendez, a Canadian pop star, he has decided he's not going to do his concerts because he needs to take time for his mental health. And we're seeing more and more well-known, high-profile people like this say this, and I think it's great because it starts, not that they're having issues with their mental health, obviously, but it gets a conversation going, and I think the more we talk about it, the less stigma there will be involved with this. Question of the day at cjob.com. When people take extended time off work to take care of their mental health, are you supportive? The answer should be completely yes, 100%. But that doesn't always happen, Carolyn. No, it doesn't. And often um, that itself is a symptom of the problem where when people are feeling like they're so stressed at work, Um, And I often have conversations with people as they're having increasing levels of stress and it's increasingly hard for them to show up at work. And I'll have conversations with them about, is there a way that you can, you know, talk to your colleagues and your manager at work to figure out how we can uh, find a way to get you the support you need or to, you know, accommodate so that you can uh, feel like you can remain there? The answer is no, I can't. Um, And that is often one of the factors that makes it increasingly hard to go to work. And so as workplaces are supportive of people's mental health and recognize that sometimes leaves are necessary, they can give the support to those workers that enable them to be in a place where they can say, my work understands me, they are supportive, they hear, the, you know, this committee or this particular person triggers me in a way that, you know, strikes me the wrong way and makes it impossible for me. And so as people, as workplaces are able to be empathic, they are able to potentially make adjustments to have a person feel seen, heard and valued in a way that allows them to eventually return to work. This came up in a meeting uh, I was involved in this morning when we were talking about this issue. And, uh, you know, when you hear about somebody taking a leave for mental health purposes, sometimes you go, well, listen, I, I do that job or, you know, I, I've got it tough too, and I'm and I'm managing. And and my thought on that is, we can never judge somebody else and what they're going through, because we're all different, right? We have different points where we go, whoa, and it might be higher for me and lower for you, and we have to respect and understand that when somebody says, "I got to take a break," they got to take a break. Well, and often it's. Um, I think what's going on there is comparative suffering is to say, well, how dare they say that they are suffering to that extent? Uh, no one has asked me how much I'm suffering or I, it's hard for me too. And often there's, there can be resentment um, because that person 
uh, has a different set of circumstances, may come out of a different spot, but they may be giving themselves permission to speak out loud that which you are not willing to or not able to. And so often when people are having that, what I encourage them to do is to, to evaluate if it is hard for you, what are you doing to take care of how hard it is for you? And can you be compassionate towards yourself as well? Because maybe they are pointing out something that is important for you also to pay attention to. It's a generational thing too, you know, as you talk about that, because you know, Sean Mendez is a is a young man. Uh, I'm an older guy, and and uh, there was a point, uh, and I think my mentality up until, to be quite honest with you, fairly recently has been, suck it up, Buttercup, I can handle it. <laughs> and as I get older, I I don't handle things as well anymore, and that's okay. Well, and you're right, different people at different stages of life find things hard in different ways. And um, I think we need to hold space for that people's level of resilience changes over time. Sometimes it increases, sometimes it decreases. And I think there are um, there is a generational cohort where people in their 20s say, I don't have to prove my worth and my value by pushing myself to exhaustion. I give myself permission to do what is right to me, even if it inconveniences others. That Sean Mendez is doing that in a way that somebody 20 or 30 years his senior wouldn't have done a generation ago. Uh, and I think maybe that's something that we can learn and, and listen to and, and then discuss and contemplate so that we have those discussions in our circles of influence. Mm-hmm. The papal visit continues. The Pope is in, in Quebec. And we've had the apology now. Some have said the apology was lacking some things. But I, I think it's significant that the Pope is here and has apologized for residential schools. But in many ways, Carolyn, I think the hard work begins now. Absolutely. Now the real work begins. Um, there can be a lot of debate and probably justifiably saying that there were some things that were missed and um, he could have been more complete. He could have addressed things in a different way. But we will have a chance now to see about that apology, how it trickles down and how people at the different levels of the church acknowledge the harms that were done and make a difference towards reconciliation by having it hurt so for so often, um, I think we we in even in personal relationships, people apologize and think it's done. But really, the apology is the beginning of the work, not the end. Where people are looking to say, okay, so now how are you going to rebuild trust? What are you going to do to show change in your behavior and in your ways of relating to me that show me that your apology had teeth to it? Um, and I, what I know, as I've been working with individuals over the years, that if an apology stops with those words and the behavior doesn't change, in the big picture, there's almost more hurt uh, because it was an empty apology than if it was never given in the first place. Empty apologies really hurt. And so now we have an opportunity to back that the Pope's apology up. Hopefully the church will uh, show signs that have people leave no doubt that they truly do regret the actions of the past. I started the show today by talking to Sherry Benson Podolchuk. She's a retired 20-year Mountie who dealt with uh, sexual violence on the force, and I was talking with her about people in positions of power who say nothing, um, which seems to be what we're seeing at uh, Hockey Canada, and I'm sure you have some thoughts on maybe not the Hockey Canada situation specifically, but the importance of highlighting stuff like this and talking about it. Oh, don't I? I have to just say that I love 
um, uh, that this is being highlighted and that people have a chance to see that systemic failures are not okay and that brushing it under the rug in the past that there are are bigger actions um, or bigger consequences by doing that in the big picture it doesn't work for any organization to do that and there's a big dollar sign attached to this because so often you know organizational and systemic change is difficult and it is hard and often those organizations resist change um, and they, it's hard to, sometimes for whole organizations to do this, you know, we're going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. They do the right thing because it's costly not to. And so I think all the other sports organizations and structures, they are reading the headlines and they're watching what's happening. And they can say, we can't do this anymore. We have to change the way we do business where we have to educate our people to say it's not okay to violate others. You cannot abuse your power. This is what informed consent looks like. This is when informed consent isn't even possible. And so people can understand and be thoughtful about their actions. And then when screw-ups happen, because inevitably in this fallen world, mess-ups do happen, people can talk about it. They can take make it right. They can work with people that are harmed. They can make sure that others are in positions of safety. And they can make sure that there's consequences so that they reduce the risk of it happening again. I think it's really important that this is happening in a very public way because it has everybody do some checks and balances within their own organization. Agreed. And Carolyn, you're always so generous with your time, and every week you uh, give such great content and conversation here on CGOB. I'm always happy to promote things that are coming up for you. You do a lot of speaking now, and you do workshops, and you've got one coming up in the fall. Yes, and so often um, I, I, I like to speak about <clears throat> we are wired for connection and how connection relates well to resilience. And so as organizations are looking to provide mental health support, their team might be tired, um, feeling like they need a bit of a boost. I'm not your typical motivational speaker where I run up and down the aisles yelling and, you know, sort of forcing people to do better in an inspirational sort of way by um, shaming people. My approach is a lot more gentle where I use science and stories to just be really encouraging of people and have them admire what they're already doing and find space to move forward in life um, in a way that is good for them and the people around them. And so my fall keynote slash workshop that I'm offering to organizations who are interested in is called Gritty Grace for a Challenging World, where courage and connection intersect. And I just like people to think about that quote from Viktor Frankl says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. And so this workshop is just about creating some space to empower people to better choose their response because the world is still going to be hard out there this fall. Inflation is going to continue. The war in Ukraine continues. But hopefully we can change our own internal posture and actions towards the world that empower us to move forward in a way that has us feel like we can align our behavior with our values and uh, feel like we have a bit more gas in our tank. Carolyn, I will give your websites in a bit here, and uh, everybody that is interested can reach out to you about that. Thanks a lot. So appreciate that. Thanks. Take care. Carolyn Klassen, Connexus Counseling. You can find her and Connexus on social media and also online at carolynklassen.com and connexuscounseling.ca. At carolynklassen.com, you can sign up for her newsletter as well, which uh, comes out every once in a while and has great information.